Rugby League Back Chat is sponsored by TotalRL.com. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Rugby League Back Chat from the LD Nutrition Stadium in Featherston. After Rugby League's weekend in Anfield, we've got three very special guests to talk us through its success. Starting with the Chief Executive of the Rugby League World Cup in 2021, John Dutton. The Managing Director of Huddersfield Giants, Richard Fulis. The former Chairman of the Parliamentary Rugby League Group, Greg Mulholland. Gents, welcome. Uh, Richard, I think... I can only really start with you, given your excellent result at the Magic Weekend. You were there. How was it for you? Naturally, for Huddersfield people, it was uh, it was just fantastic. Uh, I don't think any of us saw that result coming. Um, the event itself, I think, is unique in British sport. I think it's something that we should, in rugby league, be very proud of. I thought the venue was excellent. Um, naturally, from our perspective, the result result made everything. But I just think that. Magic as a whole is a phenomenal event where you get all the teams together, all mixing together, no trouble, world-class venue, a fantastic city, um, all positives for me, simply all positives. Greg, you uh, watch from a bit further afield, there's been a, there were a lot of criticism, a lot of scepticism on social media before the event. In your eyes, looking at the attendance, looking at the feedback online, was it a success? I mean, certainly the, the, the quality of the, of, of the rugby on the pitch made it a success and I think it looked great um, for those watching from afar as well as in the stadium. Um, I think, like a lot of things, Magic Weekend is a little bit of a, a, a sort of crossroads almost in terms of where the game is. It's obviously the, the split now between the RFL and Super League. So, uh, you know, I think, I think the truth is the jury's still out. I think it was... Good enough, but I think actually to carry on um, justifying having it at, uh, at Anfield, um, you know, because at Newcastle it was a sense of being away, somewhere that you went away for the weekend. It is bank holiday and, and the reality is that that doesn't work for lots of people. Lots of people are involved in community events, lots of people have families, which mean they can't go away. Mm -hmm. Personally, I'd like to see it not on a bank holiday weekend. Um, but, you know, I think clearly it, overall it was, it was good enough and, and something to build on, which really I think is where we are. With, with rugby league in this country and I think uh, you know as long as it improves next year then I think we can be happy. John I know that you're a, a fan of Magic Weekend and you're having to organise your own event that's uh, <laughs> slightly bigger than one Magic Weekend. In your eyes Anfield as a location does it work? Did it work? What can we do better? What was an improvement? I, I think Anfield is a fantastic stadium. It's a great stadium to stage a, a game of rugby league. Small pitch, uh, crowd close to the action. Um, I think, as Richard said, it's a celebration um, of the sport. I think what we saw at Magic Weekend was showcasing how truly inclusive rugby league is and, and mixing in the learning disabilities, rugby league, physical disabilities, rugby league, and seeing some of the, uh, the pictures, the smiling faces that came from that, that is a true celebration of what our sport's all about. Richard, on the field, I think everyone was looking at Leeds London. Uh, you obviously had a fantastic result, as you alluded to. Saints were brilliant. Who else caught the eye over the weekend? Um, <clears throat> other than, than our game, which was a fairly unique blowout, I thought all the games were pretty tight. Um, I, I think St Helens set a marker at the end that, that none of us uh, at this moment in time can live with. But um, particularly on the second day, uh, Hull KR Salford, uh, Real tight game. Um, possibly, possibly could have gone uh, Salford's way with, with three or four more minutes, just as as, as Leeds London could have gone mm -hmm. gone in London's favour with, with sort of three or four minutes later. But um, we often talk about the 
the intensity of the competition and the the nature of of the playing fields, whereby we need, we need an even playing field and we need we both sides with with an equal opportunity. And I think Magic showcased that mm -hmm. um, with with the exception. Um, the competition, to me, despite the form that Saints are in, generally does remain wide open because when I look at the St Helens team you generally look at numbers 1 to 20. Well, that seems to be their team, and, and often it's sort of 1 to 18. There's no other team doing that at this moment in time. Yeah. Whether that will be the case come August, September, time will only tell. So I think, I think it's incredibly close. Mm -hmm. um, I think even, even the Leeds Rhinos, uh, and we may touch on, on them later with, with, with the difficulties that people perceive they're having, they can still make the playoffs. Mm -hmm. You know, four wins and you're there. It is that tight in terms of where you can get to. And it's the team now that can string four or five wins together yeah. towards the back end. We'll finish in the playoffs. And they're the ones that, if the others have a little injury blip, mm -hmm. might, just, uh, might just be looking over the shoulder. Off the field, Greg, you sort of alluded you didn't think having it on a bank holiday was the right idea. Is there anything you'd change about magic at all? Well, I think, I think we've, we've got to be honest about you know, I, I mean, Richard's absolutely right. The, the product is superb. Um, the competition, fantastic. Yes, it's strange we've got Leeds and Wigan struggling this season. Um, but overall, to have so many competitive teams, to have Catalans so high up um, after their Challenge Cup triumph last year, you know, it, it's great times for the sport on the field. But I do think it's time that we looked at domestic rugby league as a whole. It's something that we called for. We called for um, a, 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 an overall sport review. So we've had the split between Super League and the RFL. Yeah. That's happened. But I do think we now need to look at it. We, we've had tweaks and changes which have come in without looking at the game properly as a whole. That hasn't happened for a few years. Mm -hmm. And I think it's time that we did that positively, um, building on what we've got. But we equally need to look at the challenges of some of the attendances somewhere. And yeah, it's great we had Magic Weekend and we can talk about the 50-odd, 56,000 people overall. But how many people are actually watching each game and how much does that compare to other, you know, other big games throughout the year? Yeah. So I do think it's time for a, a positive review that takes a couple of years mm -hmm. to look at it and how we can build on the wonderful sport that we have, um, but make more of it. And of course, that's even before we get on to the, um, to, to the likes of, of the transatlantic um, you know, teams potentially coming in. So I think we do need to do that now, get these things right, work out the best time for Magic, sort out the Easter weekend, which is still an issue. Mm -hmm. um, too many games, um, again, bank holidays. Is the August bank holiday again, is that the best time for the Challenge Cup final? Let's review these things, but let's also look at the... Um, the clubs here we are at the, the famous Featherstone Rovers. Let, let's let's you know include all um, of of rugby league and, and get the structure right going forward so that we know it's in it's in the right place. John, I'm going to come back to you in a minute, but I just want to pick up on something that um, Greg pointed out there, Richard. The crowd was fifty six thousand and uh, something. I can't quite remember exact figure. It was the second lowest in Magic history. Was that a disappointment for Super League or was that expected? Um, <clears throat> Probably expected, looking at the the, uh, the club's uh, ticket sales on the lead-up. Um, we can be pretty imaginative uh, with crowds in rugby leagues at times. Uh, I, I sort of more look at the fact that I was there with the family and we had a great day. Mm -hmm. So 56,000 have enjoyed it and you can say there were 63,000 uh, maybe at Newcastle. They come in and out uh, a lot easier at that stadium than they do at Anfield. We do sometimes get fixated on crowds, mm -hmm. you know. <laughs> The event, to me, was an unqualified success. 
we had had for instance we had witness in super league other than london we probably would have hit somewhere near yeah. uh, the um number at newcastle and there were more games actually at newcastle as well so there are lots of different factors to take into account on every event in terms of the attendances but it, it is typical rugby league that, that we will focus on the negative. Mm -hmm. I would much rather we focus on the positive and look at all the fantastic things that did occur. The um, Learning Disability Rugby League, uh, as John alluded to, was a wonderful spectacle and a day that a number of people will never, well, will never have dreamt of uh, playing at Anfield and will certainly never forget. There were far, far more positives the little negative that says there weren't as many people there as there were last year. I'm going to pick up on the positive about LD Super League in a minute. I'm going to go completely against what you said, though, and look at some of the negatives, so I apologise. John, one of the things um, that fans have criticised, and I know that you've had an experience that you can tell us about here, Richard, was the travel after the games, the last games of the day, getting back to the city centre. Logistically, how difficult is it for thousands of fans to get from Anfield to a city centre that's two miles away on public transport and is it something that we need to look at because some were saying they had to queue half an hour to get buses which you don't really want do you? Yeah I, I, unfortunately I didn't attend <clears throat> so I didn't experience um, that I, I mean if you look at Newcastle Newcastle I think was a sweet spot for Magic a, a, a venue right at the heart um, of the city in a similar way that uh, Millennium Stadium uh, in Cardiff uh, is Magic was always intended to be something on the road, taking it to new places mm -hmm. and giving new spectators um, an experience. Um, I, I don't think it's very difficult to organise transport and uh, I'm not quite sure what um, what went on. I know talking to Richard that he had a personal experience that was much better than something reported on uh, social media. Mm -hmm. uh, but of course, customer experience, if, we're, if the sport is to attract new spectators, which the World Cup is absolutely in pursuit of, we need to give uh, fans a really good experience and that's everything from transport to in-stadium experience. So Richard, some were saying that they queued far too long and it took them forever to get back to the city centre, but you, yeah. you first-hand had this experience, what was yours? Yeah, uh, we were fine, we, we left um, with about 10 minutes to go in, in the final game, mm -hmm. uh, maybe should have seen it through, but we thought we'd get back into the city centre, there were probably 10 or 15 buses, maybe more, uh, all lined up, we, we queued for maybe 10 minutes, maybe 10 minutes, £2.30, five minutes later we were, we were back into the um, city centre to enjoy the hospitality there but there are 30,000 people all trying to exit one stadium going pretty much in the same direction within a 20 minute period mm -hmm. it's not easy no um, and, and certainly f from what I saw there were buses down one side there were taxis for the more affluent down the other side maybe those are rugby union supporters I don't know and I thought it worked well you know I, I, I thought it worked well um, but again in the age of social media, we will get somebody at the back of the queue saying, oh, you know, et cetera, et cetera, I've been here for half an hour. Yeah. They won't say one minute later, but I'm on, and five minutes later, I'm in the middle of the pool having a drink. No. It is what it is. Um, and a stadium like that is used to moving 55, 56,000 mm -hmm. yeah. people, John. So the 25 to 30,000 people, pretty easy, I would have thought, for them. And I thought they did it well. Greg, right, I'm going to give you a magic wand. You can do whatever you want with Magic Weekend. You can move it, you can keep it where it was, you can change the concept. What would you do with it? Well, I mean, I think the whole point is there are no Magic Wands. And I'm sure, you know, if you listen to the various opinions in, you know, the Rugby League press, 
um, Twitter, then a lot of these people think they've got the solutions. You know, John knows having worked for the RFL um, and then doing a great job with the, the World Cup. You know, there are no easy solutions that, you know, the, if there was, they'd have been done by now. Mm. I think personally, if you're going to have the magic concept, um, and I do think it works, and I absolutely share, I think it's wonderful seeing the different types of rugby and perhaps actually looking at involving the women's game, which is now, um, I think, uh, you know, something that's very, very exciting, mm. um, really, really coming on. Um, but I think actually if you're going to have that festival, you know, because actually we talk about 56,000, but there was never that many people in the stadium. That's not how it works. It is a sort of, you, you watch your team, you might watch some of the other games, mm -hmm. and then you want to be in a round and about. For me, I, I'm afraid I think Newcastle works better for that. I think, you know, as a concept to be there. It is difficult getting from a big stadium like, uh, like Anfield, doesn't have the, the infrastructure of, say, um, the Etihad or, or Old Trafford in terms of trams and things. So I think if, if you're going to have that concept, I think it has to be somewhere where people can come in and out and, and dip in and out. Um, and I think Newcastle is, is a better venue for that. Mm -hmm. um, though I share, I think Anfield is a wonderful stadium, no question. And you know, I was at the, um, the, the last uh, the Four Nations final yeah. um, and I thought that was a great match, despite not sadly having England in it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there isn't an easy one, but I do think we've got to review these things properly, review the timing of all the big events, look at the Easter weekend mm -hmm. um, and look at how we're going to shift the game. No one is talking about this elephant in the room if we get Toronto into Super League and what happens then and, mm -hmm. and do we have a bigger Super League? We can't surely have any more games, that's not fair on the players. But what do we do? And that really now is the job of Super League. They've taken over um, that, that part of the game. But I want mm -hmm. to see this review, and it should be the RFL, I believe, announcing that because we want to make sure that we're still promoting, supporting the community clubs, mm -hmm. the, the Featherstones, the Batleys, um, and all the rest of it. And then the, the game that's all over the country, the community game. And, you know, and, and that review, frankly, is well overdue, and I want to hear that as something that is, is something that people will get behind in the sport. Richard, you can't be the voice of Super League, but has, has any of that <clears throat> been discussed? Uh, well, just to pick up on when, when Greg said that's Super League's issue, it isn't. Um, if Toronto are promoted, uh, they will be in Super League. Um, that is an RFL regulation, not Super League. Uh, it's the RFL that control the method of promotion and relegation. And at this moment in time, Toronto are red-hot favourites. Uh, I, think, I think we all know that. Uh, to come up, and if they do, um, they have a set of criteria like the other four competing clubs who will be in the playoffs to meet. My understanding, sat here, is that all the likely contenders meet the necessary criteria. Toronto have a different funding model to the others, and that's already agreed with Toronto. So if they're in, um, they come in on merit, and um, we have to embrace them. We have to do our best to make it work. There are a lot of challenges around them, but challenges that the RFL have been working with in the Championship 1 and Championship. Uh, so no reason why Super League clubs can't um, meet the criteria of, of going across there and coming back. I think where Super League clubs probably have differed in terms of opinion is that we're not overly keen on the blocks of fixtures. Mm -hmm. we, we, we sort of want to try home and away. Eight at home and eight away is felt by a number of Super League people to be a competitive uh, advantage that we're not happy with. So is it home and away outright or two at home, two away or just...? I, I think a sensible compromise. We have to have some compromise. Two and two would seem to me to be, to be appropriate. Mm -hmm. But again, fixture lists, as John will know, are extremely difficult to put together with 
dual stadia, with bank holiday weekends, with the Challenge Cup, with TV scheduling. Yep. That is that is a difficult uh, operation. There's an added, added practical issue in uh, Toronto. I remember going in January and it was minus 28. So, so <laughs> the, you know, to actually the start of the season, it's physically impossible to actually play. Even called uh, in Featherstone on January. So, yeah, you've got to throw all of those things into the mix. Right, let's pick up on this debate after the break. First half has flown by so far. We'll be back after a short break for more chat about Rugby League on Rugby League Back Channel. Welcome back for the second part of this week's Rugby League Back Chat. Gents, before the break, we talk about magic. Just to wrap this up, uh, one thing that's been discussed on social media, and don't forget, anyone who's listening, they can join the conversation too uh, on, on to our Twitter at RL Back Chat, um, is the concept of a Rugby League festival, John. Now, the idea is that it could be held at a, an event, as, an arena as such, where there's different stadia, and it can be a festival where there's loads of Rugby League games. So... The example being used is the Etihad. So the Etihad Stadium would be for Super League. There's the uh, Athletics Arena that could be used for Championship Games, maybe, and then the third arena that could be used for League One, for Women's, for PDRL, LDRL. In principle, I'm sure there's logistics that are a nightmare. In principle, does that work or not? It sounds wonderfully exciting to bring the whole sport together and have a celebration. I think the practicalities of the number of games that the players already play, uh, the cost of uh, delivering that, mm-hmm. uh, and obviously the broadcast uh, element. But yeah, I mean, I, I think we've seen an extended part of that over two weekends. Uh, I was at Blackpool. I thought some of Bash was absolutely uh, excellent. Was there for the Lee Witness game, which was uh, terrific. Um, and, and then we've had Anfield as the next weekend. So I think delivering all that on one weekend on one campus, uh, it does sound brilliant. Uh, mm-hmm. Whether it can be done is another thing. Okay, I'll put that pipe dream to uh, to one side. I do want to bring up uh, learning disability superly. I was very fortunate to be able to play uh, in the the Leeds game at halftime of Castleford St Helens. It was an amazing experience uh, for those for those people involved. Everyone got a standing ovation after a very very humbling experience. Greg, I mean, you you saw the clips on Sky. Sky showed plenty of the action. We talk about how inclusive rugby league can be. And we talk about the positives of this sport. How inclusive we are is surely one of our big strengths, isn't it? I think it is, and actually, I think you know one thing we probably agree on is, in some ways, the the, the most special thing and perhaps the the standout moment, you know, was actually that and some of the mm-hmm. pictures from 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 the from the the faces of some of the the players and i've seen i've seen that particular part of the game develop over the last um what a couple of years is only all we're talking about and seen games at leeds i think it's absolutely superb i think somehow we need to find a way of shouting about it so i think actually in terms of the idea of this festival well that's already what magic is and, and perhaps it can be built on it already has been built on with adding that in as i say it'd be nice to see perhaps if we could have the women's game featured um, in some way as well. But yes, let, let's get that story out there. Let's remind people how many different varieties. You know, we, we, we're all celebrating when we won the um, the wheelchair rugby league yep. um, World Cup a few years ago. I'm he- hoping we might win that again next year. Um, but yeah, we need to make more of this. We need to tell people more about this story. Um, and it's great, I think, to have that broadcast on Sky, really important to, to get that out there. But anything all of us can do in the sport to, to promote those other forms of the game and its inclusivity, incredible inclusivity, you know, we really, really should do. Richard, just to touch on that, the 
Women's Super League mm-hmm. is, is now a thing, Learning Disability Super League. Is, in terms of the growth of the sport, how important are, is it that we have these different facets, these, these different varieties of rugby league? I think it's absolutely critical. Um, if we look at our growth over the last awesome, 10 years ago, we haven't done a great deal of growing. Is the reality. This last two or three years, particularly in the women's game and the learning disability, I think we have. I think we might have tapped into an area there that we can really capitalise upon. Mm-hmm. And I think Magic gave us a prime example of half-time activity, pre-match activity, mm-hmm. curtain raises. I think these types of things could be the way forward for Rugby League. I think a standalone event, a Super League game or a championship game, perhaps hasn't worked over the last Lord knows how many years. We need to add other things on. Uh, and certainly the women's game uh, could be one. Mm-hmm. Learning to be a little more difficult, but that could be another one as well. But I think, I think what magic shows is the more we have going on on any particular day or event, the more successful it can be. So we need an events culture, is what we're saying. Yeah, I think we do. Yeah, I think we do. Well, speaking of events, we uh, happen to have the chief executive of the Rugby League World Cup for 2021 here. John, it's the biggest event that Rugby League has. Uh, you are at the heart of it. You are at the front of it. Simple question is, how's it going? It's a long way away, but I it, know you're doing a lot. It, it is a long way away. Uh, I, firstly start, I first started work on the project in November 2015 when we knocked on the door of government and asked them to uh, support us. Um, so time has gone quite quickly and we're three years uh, since that time. Um, two and a half years away, we're in a good place. We're delivering something that's so significant. 61 games, 21 venues, 32 different nations. Um, and it's something that we want to deliver and the sport can be proud of. Uh, And I think, as Richard said, it's it's a festival, it's a celebration. Um, It will feature men, women and wheelchair on the same platform for the first time ever um, and will be completely inclusive. So we want to deliver something that the sport truly gets behind. Uh, We have to attract new spectators uh, to it. Um, We have a great domestic TV deal that will get the reach far and wide. Um, This is the sport's chance to really shine. So what is the TV deal? Just remind people who who don't quite know. The domestic TV deal um, is that every minute of every game will be available on the BBC so across the 61 games um, a big chunk of those games on terrestrial TV BBC 1 BBC 2 um, and it's like never before we, if we remember back 2013 I think everyone has some fond memories of 2013 mm-hmm. I think it was a real game changer in International Rugby League only 7 of the 28 games live on the BBC uh, so we've now converted that that all of the tournament will be accessible to a, a very significant domestic audience Yeah, which is obviously massive will the women's and wheelchair sides also have some coverage too yeah 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 they will <coughs> and what we will do is uh, we'll have continuity so we'll play the men's group games uh, mm-hmm. and then at the quarterfinal stages um the women's and wheelchair tournaments which are slightly smaller will begin and then we'll play all the way through to the finals weekend uh, at old trafford the men and women will play together on the same pitch same stadium same ticket uh, both live on the bbc and I, I just think that's so significant for the sport and it's something that everyone um can get behind we talked about positivity uh, and of course there are um, things that the sport will need to look at and ultimately need to uh, take some current attention but the, the Rugby League World Cup for five weeks should be a celebration, a festival, uh, the pinnacle uh, and something for people to really get behind. I'm going to pick your brains a little bit more, gents. If you've got any questions, feel free to uh, put in on, on my behalf. Um, you've already announced the venues. You've announced a lot of things. Correct me if I'm wrong, you seem a lot more proactive, a lot more evident than in the build-up to 2013. Has that been a measure, an action that you've made purposely? 
Yeah, and we have uh, time is on our side. Mm -hmm. um, we have government funding in place. And just to put that in context, in 2013, we received less than a million pounds worth of government funding. We now have 25 million pounds worth of government funding. So how have you done that? that? Uh, that's, it's unprecedented in the sport. Uh, it began, um, and Greg uh, played a really key uh, role in that, in the very early days of going mm -hmm. to government and talking about a political agenda, which was Northern Powerhouse, and convincing the government at the time, George Osborne was the uh, Chancellor, David Cameron was the Prime Minister, uh, to support us. Uh, and deliver something significantly for the North. Uh, and our pledge was that 80% of the games will be played in the North. We've actually slightly over-indexed on that. Mm -hmm. um, and, and perhaps we're in the right place at the right time. But this is, this is the world's biggest team sporting tournament in 2021. Um, rugby league in the UK, predominantly in the North. And, and it's something that um, you know, we just want people to feel part of. Uh, to get excited by. Uh, we want to do some different things. Uh, we want to be quite creative. Uh, we'll have some new nations playing. Uh, mm -hmm. Jamaica, both yeah. qualified in the men's tournament. Um, we expect a Scandinavian team uh, to play in the women's or wheelchair and a South American team um, as well. And all of a sudden you see vibrancy, you see colour. Um, it, it will be tremendous and I think it will come across both in the stadium and very well on uh, broadcast and digital. Greg, John just alluded to the the influence that you've had in at the start of this bid. How important is this for rugby league on a wider scale outside of rugby league, even in, outside of sport, maybe? Well, I mean, for the sport, it, it's it, it's everything really because we're finally, I think, seeing international rugby league get recognised and international rugby league significantly and and organically growing, which is something we've we've long wanted to see. Mm -hmm. But let's face it, it's been dominated by by three nations now there's a lot more strength in depth yes yeah, still at the, at the at the highest level in terms of who's going to win it that still is a challenge we'd love to see you know some other nations really being able to challenge and it looks pretty clear that that will come from the the pacific nations and i think that's hugely exciting the the growth of rugby league there something we'd love to start trying to emulate um in europe and, and north america over time um, but it but it's huge because to have 32 nations shows that now rugby league is is becoming a, a global sport. Mm -hmm. It also, as John said, adds that colour. But as John has said, it, it also represents the fact that rugby league is being taken seriously um, by by the government, by the mm -hmm. by the state, by the powers that be. Um, I'm very proud that we supported the bid alongside John. It was a superb bid, and John's doing a tremendous job reaching out, going to um, the Nigerian embassy today um, to, to, you know, to, to promote it. And I think that, that kind of work that's going on all the time is, is really important. But the fact that you know, governments are prepared to say, yes, rugby league, it's, it might be mainly played in the north, but it's still um, a game uh, that is hugely important to this country as a whole mm -hmm. and one they should get behind. So I think we need to build on that. So you know, I, I think a lot of work John's, John and his team will be doing to, to do that, then it's up to the rugby league community to really get behind it. Um, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm confident that it'll be the best rugby league World Cup that there's ever been. And that's saying something because the last two have been really excellent as well. The World Cup bandwagon will go to Huddersfield, Richard, the growth of the international game. It's, uh, it's been quite something, especially the, the minor nations. Like the stories coming from Brazil and Christmas <coughs> Islands even is a place that seems to be growing rugby league. How, how beneficial is it for the sport in this country that it's growing elsewhere? Um, well, I think what we need to do, um, just in a matter of Huddersfield, is John will deliver a full stadium. I think it's a quarter, it's a quarter final that we've, that we've got. Uh, John, we don't know who that's going to be yet, but we're pretty confident that there'll be 25,000 people in there. The challenge for Huddersfield is to get the vast majority of those 25,000 people back in uh, yeah. when we 
uh, kick off our following campaign and that will go for every uh, stadium because um, I have every com confidence in John and his team that they'll all be, all be full um, but it's keeping them involved um, that is the key issue in terms of the legacy. Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of where are we playing in and around the world, I don't think the neutral people in Huddersfield are that bothered, to be perfectly honest, Matt. If we're playing in Christmas Island, I don't think they're that bothered. I think they want to see a sellout John Smith Stadium, they want to get involved with Rugby League, hopefully many for the first time. Mm -hmm. You know, we just want Huddersfield people, Halifax and Leeds, we want new people. And the game needs to attract new people. And the international game is, is a great vehicle to do that, mm -hmm. and then it's how we keep them. That's the key. John, there's obviously a lot of, of ethnic minorities around all, a lot of the towns. In the, I mean, Huddersfield has a massive Afro-Caribbean uh, pop, pop, population. Um, how important is it that we do get into these, these groups, and how are we going about making sure that that happens? Yeah, it's critically important. Um, we, our target is to, I keep talking about transcending the sport. Mm -hmm. We have to do, we have to get beyond rugby league. Uh, we think about 60% of the overall audience will be the core rugby league supporters yeah. who turn, in, turn up week in, week out, and 40% a new audience. And, and our ticket target is three quarters of a million tickets. So to put that in context, just less than half a million um, tickets were sold in 2013, yeah. less than 400,000 in 2017, and our target is 750,000. So that, that means we have to reach a new audience, and everything that Richard said is absolutely right. Um, Legacy, to me, is about going beyond the core. Uh, we have a dance programme, a choir programme. Um, as Greg alluded to, um, we're going to uh, the Nigerian High Commission today, delivering an outreach pro programme in West Africa. Uh, we've already been to uh, Jamaica uh, and to Papua New Guinea. Um, so, so it's about going beyond the core, mm -hmm. and legacy post the tournament is hopefully more people playing the game particularly around girls and women's uh, rugby league's a big yeah. drive 21,000 uh, participants by the world cup um, but it's also about uh, supporters uh, and it's about brands uh, so we announced a couple of weeks ago that Deloitte have come on board yeah. as one of our commercial partners um, and, and that's just the start of that commercial journey so legacy manifest in di different ways what do we want to see sell at world cup three quarters of a million um, people watching not for me to say but I think if uh, the chief executive of the RFL was here, he'd say England lifting all three trophies yep. um, and then post that, um, you know, the sport to take some benefit in whatever shape or form. I'll be honest, when I was assessing, I think when I was analysing the World Cup and you did the venue launch, I called it bold but brave. How confident are you with three quarters of a million? Because that, that number, um, that sounds daunting to me. How do you go about selling that number of tickets and also when when do you start selling them how how close do you need yeah, to get before you do it certainly daunting um will keep yeah. me uh, awake at, at night but this was part of the deal going right back to the start did we want to <coughs> 2013 as greg uh, has said was successful absolutely um did we want to do the same again on meager resources with a small team and a small budget absolutely not and that in the early days we had to show our vision and our vision vision was to be bold and brave uh, i've got a little indicator on my head to make sure we don't we're not quite reckless, yep. but but we've absolutely got to be um, ambitious. This is our one golden um, opportunity. How do we go about it? Um, a lot of understanding the audience. Uh, so I think when we talk to, talk about magic and what the future of magic is, it's really important to listen to the customer, and that's one of the things that we're doing. Uh, we will go to ballot next year. The sport's never undertaken a ballot, but same as Cricket World Cup, which has been hugely successful. Netball World Cup, the same. Um, we've got to live in that band of world-class sporting tournaments, uh, and then we'll go on general next October a year out from the tournament. Uh, we have seven
seven, we call them our big seven, starting at St. James's Park. 52,000 people have to be inside that stadium, mm -hmm. portray to a global audience to get the momentum of the tournament underway. 74,000 people need to be inside Old Trafford. Mm -hmm. And let's not forget, we've got the Emirates Stadium, the first time um, a sport other than football will be played at the Emirates Stadium. And that's a big stadium in London, and that's going to be full. So um, significant ticket sales targets, going to the core community, making sure that they are proud and want to support the tournament, but also reaching out to that new audience. And you cannot underestimate the power of World Cup, capital W, capital C. Uh, and as we, I think we'll see over the coming weeks of the Cricket World Cup, how fantastically successful they will be in engaging a new audience. Well, I don't know about you two gents, but it all sounds very, very exciting to me. We'll uh, come back, just touch on the World Cup after a very short break. So coming up after the break, more World Cup chat, plus reserve grade, all that and much more in the final part of Rugby League Back Chat. Stay right there. Welcome back to this week's final part of Rugby League Back Chat from the LD Nutrition Stadium. And don't forget, you can get involved in the conversation too on Twitter at RL Back Chat. Gents, just want to wrap up the uh, World Cup chat. You spoke about legacies bef before the break, John. One of the big things you've done is get into the community game and, and help them. Just talk us through what you've done so far and what you plan on doing in the future. Yeah, a big part of our uh, discussion with government was to make sure we, we leave a physical legacy. Uh, so £10 million um, uh, we have at our disposal. Uh, it can only be spent on facilities in grassroots uh, community rugby league clubs. Uh, so far, we've di distributed a £1 million worth of grants for £3 million worth of projects. So wonderfully exciting. Um, physical, bricks and mortar, new pitches, but also kit and equipment to encourage um, teams to set up and, and play. So we've got uh, quite a lot more to go at, and our target is to distribute all of that before the World Cup starts. That will be a true legacy for the sport. Uh, Greg, you've been around a lot of the, the community games. That's massive, isn't it? There are some poor facilities out there. It is. It's, 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 it's massive um, and it's much needed. And I think, you know, all these things to celebrate, but, you know, we need to look at the community game. It's how, in the end, people, um, many people get into it from playing at school, from playing at school age or indeed playing you know, uh, the different forms at any age. So, yeah, it is important. Um, and I think we need to we need to be probably linking the community game a bit more. So it's fantastic that it's being linked to the World Cup. And I think actually we'd like to see that linked a little bit more, perhaps to, um, to, to you know, to things like the Magic Weekend. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, we, we've got to keep celebrating community rugby league. We've got to keep celebrating. And that's the traditional clubs here in the North, um, but also looking at the... Um, the many clubs now in the south and also you know the, the the fact that many of those don't have their own facilities so yeah a lot to do but many many exciting things and that is a wonderful legacy and well done to john and the team for for putting it into place richard does super league and its clubs need to tie in better to community clubs as well or do they already do that um no i think we need to improve that that side of things i think we can always improve everything uh, in terms of rugby league it's it's another negative question uh, from you that you, you sort I'm of put sorry. forward and you know sort of my views on all that but um the super league clubs have the majority of the finances in the game that is the reality how we're able to influence lower down through the community is a big challenge for us mm -hmm. there's no doubt about that but it's something that should be on our our watch yeah. and it's something that we should be held accountable and responsible for because again over the last number of years the community game has struggled I think we have to sit and say the reality of it is it has struggled it's a big area that we've uh, we've got to invest in uh, and, and give it a lot of time a lot of attention and ultimately we're going to come on to talk about about, about reserves in a little, little while 
that is all linked into the whole big picture that, that Greg sort of talked about earlier. The community game, to me, is a concern at this moment in time. Right, let's move on to reserve grade. You were in the meeting last week, the regulatory meeting, uh, where reserve grade was discussed. Where are we at? What's, what's the latest? Um, <clears throat> we discussed it, uh, as we always do. Um, it's 99.9% .9 going to happen. I'm not actually too sure who actually says you are ultimately doing the reserve grade, but we have accepted as clubs that, that that is the direction of travel that the majority wish to go in. So there will be a, a reserve grade uh, next year, unless, unless something that I'm certainly not aware of jumps out of the woodwork. It will be for all Super League clubs. Catalan's accepted. I think they're playing their reserve grade in the local French competition, which seems to me to be the the right thing to do mm -hmm. uh, and it will also be for category A licensed academies um, as well so it'll be new territory for us um, you would know better than I last time we had reserve grade That's seems wild. an awful long time ago to me um, but again it's, it's going to be a challenge for us the finances are significant mm -hmm. uh, and, and my question has always been it will cost in excess of a million pounds across the game. That is the reality. The RFL have done the sums, uh, not Huddersfield. We've all submitted our numbers, and it will be in excess of a million pounds. And my question has always been, is that the best use of that money mm -hmm. in the game at this moment in time? Or, to throw, throw something else uh, sort of out there, is the community a better place for that spend to be at this current stage? Greg, what's your take on what Richard's just said? Well, I think you know Richard and the, the Super League clubs involved are the ones that are well placed to say what it really means and, and what it will you know do in terms of the effect on the clubs. So I don't think really it's for anyone else to to comment on that. Um, but I do think again you've got this issue: is it the best way to do it? Um, I think a lot of people think it is. Other people have other views. Um, but we still have you know the dual registration thing, which is controversial. So we need to we need to address these issues. We need to address. You know, some some of the lower league clubs are they are they effectively going to become, um, you know, feeder clubs for the big clubs? Is that the, the, the direction of travel? I know a lot of fans aren't happy with that. It doesn't sit well with me. Um, but you know, what's the best way for our sport to go forward as a whole, from the community, um, from the from the the, the lower leagues um, and the Super League, and with it now growing a, an international, a transatlantic dimension? You know, I think we do. I really feel that we are not addressing that as a whole. Um, and, and I think unless we do that, we are going to have these challenges. We're not looking at the thing um, as, a, as a global sport in this country. And I really think that, you know, as part of the legacy, with the international game, I think, is, is going really well. Even the Australians now are, are taking that more seriously, particularly mm -hmm. as the Pacific nations are becoming competitive. Um, but I do think we need a proper look at it, an independent look, probably not you know, the RFL itself, but we need people to come in and have a look and say, what's the best way? You know, consulting with all areas of the game. Mm -hmm. you know, was it the right thing for the community game to go to the summer? That, that question um, still hasn't been addressed. I'm not convinced um, it, it necessarily was, but let's ask these questions, let's mm -hmm. go to the grassroots, let's go to the Super League clubs, and let's deal with the reality of the challenges, because in the end, having reserve grade is a challenge for the clubs. Mm -hmm. Will that take away from other things that the Super League clubs could be doing? Does it take away from some of the focus on the women's? You know, we need to ask these questions. So let's let's do that together sensibly. And that isn't a negative. Mm -hmm. Looking at how you move forward. You know, there was the review a few years ago 
And I think a lot of the thinking of that was was right, and then the conclusions were were wrong in some cases and far too controversial, merging, inclu including merging, you know, Featherstone Rovers. Mm -hmm. um, but but I think you know we've got to look at the challenges. Can we sustain so many clubs um, in, in in a small area at the same time as then having a you know a club, uh, a Super League team in? Canada, maybe then others following from other parts of the world, which then pushes everyone further down the chain. And what's the difference then between a, you know a, a team that's outside the championship and some of the best you know community mm -hmm. clubs? And I don't think we're addressing this as a whole. And I really think I really think we should. So, well, just just on on North America, because you seem like you've got some concerns on on the transatlantic stuff. What's your take on it, and what are your major? Well, it's, I mean, let, let, let me say, I think it's very, very exciting. I think the fact you've got 10,000 people watching mm. rugby league um, in, you know, the biggest city in Canada. I think it's the biggest city in Canada. Um, that's incredible. It's absolutely fabulous. Um, now, they're not going to be playing other teams because there aren't other teams for them to play. So that's mm. why they're playing here in our structure. Um, and in the end, that really, I think, only works if they're in Super League. Um, and of course, that means one less Super League place. Unless we're going to expand again and have more games for players, which is an issue. We all know how tough our sport is, which is one of the, the, the reasons it's so attractive. Um, that's another team struggling, another team pushed down, another team that doesn't get the funding. And the, all those things have a knock-on effect. And if, if then there's a... Um, you know, if a New York thing ever happens again, it's very exciting. I don't, you know, I, I'm not someone who says, "Oh, we should only keep rugby league in the M62 corridor." You know, I think that mentality is fundamentally wrong. We wouldn't be having a World Cup with so many nations and so many locations if that were the case. But we've got to look at this properly as a whole, and I don't think anyone is doing it. Mm -hmm. You know, the, 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 what the, the the Toronto guys have done themselves is phenomenal. I mean, wouldn't it be wonderful if you got that same kind of thinking in other parts of the UK mm -hmm. to do that? You know, perhaps a franchise in Scotland, a franchise in Ireland, whatever, to make that work. But it has, you know, they're making it work. And in the end, that's what, so you, instead of having an artificial club dropped in somewhere else, which is doomed to fail, um, like Paris did a few years ago, um, this is working. But, it, you know, how does that work within the game? That's a big challenge for the RFL, big challenge for the, um, the Super League um, if, if Toronto come up. But it isn't the end of that, and it can't be the end of that. It doesn't make sense just to have that uh, as one thing. So where is the sport going, and how is it going to be structured as we go forward? And what are the effects of that for clubs, including clubs like Felicity Rovers, um, including um, you know, clubs who are probably at the, bot the bottom end of the Super League year on year, who then, as other teams come in, will struggle and may not then, you know, may join the, the other famous names um, who are no longer in the top echelons of the game. And that's a big challenge for them and for those areas. And we need to we need to talk about these things. And we're not talking about it. I agree with I agree with Richard. We don't want lots of negativity all the time. You know, and we should be celebrating the positive. But let's also be realistic and let's look at the game as a whole and say, mm -hmm. okay, how do we, you know, look look at where we are, all the good things, all the challenges. And what is the best way together to take this game forward so it's fit for purpose for the for, you know for the for the next right. next half a century? The, the, the positive aspect about Toronto is that it is one individual funding that club solely. That individual, and I generally don't know the numbers. I would imagine will have put ten or twenty million pounds already into one club. That's what it will have cost him, and will continue. Uh, to cost him. So when you say Toronto is working, it is working uh, simply because of one person. Um, there are no Canadians playing uh, that, that I'm aware of in, in their team. 
So it is a different entity. And I'm not saying that's right or wrong. But what I am saying is that, again, is that the best use of that money in terms of rugby league as a whole sport? Because what we're doing at the moment is we're taking uh, a lot of English guys and some Aussie guys, I think based in Manchester, and they play every now and again in Toronto. I'm not privy to what they're actually leaving in terms of legacy uh, on the ground uh, across there. And it would be something that, that John would, would know from the World Cup as to how that works. But it is, in essence, one man that is making the whole thing work across there. And, and good on him. You know, good on him. I'm not, not knocking this in any way, shape or form in terms of, of, of what he's doing. When we say investing, I would use the word donating. I think most owners would have a wry smile uh, when I say that. So it's a different model, totally different model to that that we see in, in this particular ground and across the M62 corridor. And when you say we could replicate that model up and down the country, I think the whole sport would love to have 10 or 15 David Argyles. But what that would then ultimately come back to is where are these players coming from? Mm -hmm. Where are the players ultimately going to come from that are going to fill all these clubs? Um, there aren't as many people, for instance, playing in Featherstone as there were 20 years ago, mm -hmm. nor in Huddersfield, nor in Leeds. And, and, that, and that's and what that I mean about, about pushing yeah. to your community. Yeah. So, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I don't think we disagree. I think the, the point is, this has sort of happened just out of the blue mm. over the last few years. It's extraordinary. No one could have predicted it. But now it's happened... Um, without looking at how it affects the game as a whole, about how the game is going to be going forward, if this mm -hmm. is going to be something else that may happen again. Um, and is it the right thing at all? I think that's the question I'm asking. You know, and, 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 yeah, and it, I, th I think it, we have to celebrate the fact there are 10,000 people watching Rugby League in, uh, in Toronto. You know, that it would be strange not to. If they're loving the game, then th there's an opportunity there. And if it becomes something lasting, I think we'd all celebrate that. Mm -hmm. But is it the right thing to be playing transatlantic rugby league in this country and what are the knock-on effects of that and we haven't in my view we haven't asked that question as part of saying how we go forward um, in terms of the structure of the support we, we've done piecemeal things there's been the attempts to get clubs you know in Coventry and Hemel yeah. um, you know with, with mixed success um, I just don't think I don't think we are looking at the game as a whole and I think it needs someone dispassionate I think you need someone to come in and have a have a proper review as we did a few years ago and I say some of that thinking was right mm -hmm. and I think people looking back you can see some of that thinking was right yeah. we need to do it again um, and this time get the conclusions right John John let me just pull you into this conversation what's your take on everything that we've uh, has just been said there I, I was involved at the start um, in the uh, Toronto. I, I went out there to have a look at their business plan. Uh, gosh, way, way back, it'd probably be at the end of the World Cup in 2013. Um, and as Richard said, D David Argyle has um, donated, invested a huge amount of money um, into Toronto. The objective at the start were opening up the player um, pool. Uh, that hasn't yet happened, but I th do think that has to, uh, it's not an overnight um, magic wand wave it and it was successful. Uh, commercial opportunities and then also the broadcast markets. Um, again, the, the, the sort of measures, yes, 10,000 people are watching them. Yeah. Ha have all those three criteria been uh, ticking the box? Um, not yet. Um, and I, I just think that will come with time. Yeah. Um, it's interesting when you look at the top of championship, you know, Toronto number one, Toulouse in second place, and York yeah. in third place, which is, which is interesting. And you know, maybe maybe the three of us are very close to the sport. You go to talk to other people and, and they look up and say, what, Toronto are playing 
in your competition and are at the top of the league and are knocking on the door of Super League. Um, but it, Greg's right about it being part of a plan. Uh, so Ottawa, New York, who, whoever whoever may come next, it's got to be part of the plan. And ultimately, it's got to bring new money into the sports, new money, new players into the sport. Uh, the sport, the, U, the UK game has to take some benefits uh, from. And we've seen with Catalan now, what, in their 11th season um, in Super League, <coughs> lifting the Challenge Cup, playing at the uh, Camp Nou. Um, measurable success. Um, yep. so, so all of that has to come. Um, I was in China uh, a couple of weeks ago looking at the sports market uh, out there as part of our international uh, development programme. Um, and it's incredible. But you can't just start to look around the world and put pins in the map without yep. having a plan and ultimately the plan delivering. Uh, just quickly, we've got about 50 seconds left. Richard, uh, one thing just to touch up on. Uh, Greg mentioned dual reg and reserve grade. Has dual reg been mentioned? How yes. that will work alongside yeah. reserve and how, well, how will it? It's still there. Yeah, it's still uh, there. The rules will be exactly the same. Yep. Um, Huddersfield, for instance, have a lot of dual reg uh, players out there. Uh, if we wish to continue to do that next year, we can. If we want to put those players into the reserves again, we can. Right. So there is no change uh, proposed in terms of the dual reg, re dual reg regulations. We'll have to leave it there, I'm afraid. Well, this week has flown by. Don't forget, you can get involved in everything we've discussed too on Twitter, at RL Backchat. A big thanks to my guests this week, John Dutton, Greg Mulholland and Richard Fulis. Don't forget, we'll be back next week for another edition. But from now, from Rugby League Backchat, bye-bye. Rugby League Backchat is sponsored by TotalRL.com.